Hello everyone. Happy Friday the 3rd of December. Happy Friday, December 3rd. This is Yersa Daily Ward and you're listening to The Utter. So when I initially started this and decided to do audio installments, I bought this microphone that was really good. Still don't know really how to work it. Um, and also it's a bit of a process setting it up and to cut a long story short, I've gone back, I've reverted, I've regressed to just talking into my phone, sitting on my bed. Um, (laughs) is it laziness or a lack of expertise? Don't know. But here I am today, Friday the 3rd of December, and I was going to write something and it's been a while I thought I wanted to to talk instead. So here I am. Wow, I hope you're all doing well. This introduction to winter, this early winter, is it? I mean, technically it's not winter yet, is it? I feel, I feel as though it is. I feel everything turning and... It's brought about a lot of, God, deep, deep soul movement. Um, And though not all unpleasant, it's certainly quite mercurial and, and heavy. And I mean, it's a great time for, I always find this being a great time for, for ideas to sort of incubate even if you don't quite know what to do with them next or what to do with them yet. And so I thought I'd come on here and just ramble. I'm very good at rambling. And I have some of your questions here, so I'm just going to answer some of them. So these are some November questions that I actually haven't looked at yet, so I'm going to read them and do my best to answer them. Okay. Somebody asked, how do you stay grounded even when the ground is always shifting beneath your feet? Wow, I think that is, uh, how do I stay grounded? Sometimes with difficulty, and I think I've said this before, or maybe I've made a mistake and answered this before, or something like it, but I always find it's not, it's for me it's not a question of staying grounded. I know that things will happen that will will cause me to to shift, to be upended, to <laughs> to to float off into the air. You know, even there's a lot of self abandonment that still happens and wanting to people please and wanting to to revert back to some very default settings or some things that 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 were very common some behaviors and for me it's just a sense of of coming back coming back to center so i can tell you about the things that i do do to bring me back to center i mean if you read this if you read this um newsletter you'll know most of them it's walking alone sometimes uh, and trying to make a habit of it trying to make that a daily practice even when it's it's cold even if it's not for a long time i guess there's the art of noticing all the different elements that that make up either my 
my field of vision or, or or what I can hear or what I can just feel, what I can experience. And it can be raw materials, it can be the trees, it can be the grass, it can be listening to the birds. It's those very simple things that, you know, sometimes it feels really strange to talk about it as though it's something overly simple or even overly abstract but those things remind me that I'm part of something larger part of an ensemble you know an ecosystem living within an ecosystem and those things help me feel grounded when I feel flattened by work or brands or corporations or you know, things that I've agreed to do. And when I feel weighed down by by the asps, I have to remember that I'm part of something larger and something more important. And other things, things that change me physiologically, I have to do as well. So the meditation helps, breath work helps, even body work. Body work is really important if if it's available to you. And by body work, I'm talking massage or I'm talking about the work that you can do on your own body, mobility, anything that raises your, your heart rate, gets your blood pumping. These are the things we don't always want to do when we're in difficulty, but they shift things. They do. I hope that helps. <laughs> okay, somebody else. How much does it take for a soul to break down? How long before a person can know they've had enough and that it is time to put a stop to whatever it is that feeds? Or, I can't see the rest of this. Mm, whatever it is. <laughs> That feeds on their self-esteem. Okay. How much does it take for a soul to break down? The amount of times I've wondered that when I'm having a, a long, difficult night, day, week, couple of weeks of the soul, couple of months. I think the truth is, this is, these are cyclical things. These are, these are roundabouts, you know. Uh, certainly when you go to bed at night and you go to bed for, well, hopefully between seven and eight hours, something like that. I think that the rest is designed to, to refresh, to rebuild. Even the way our skin, hair, bodies regenerate during the night, that tells us something something about what we should do. I think that when we follow the clues from the natural world, how the moon waxes and wanes, how the day folds into night and then becomes day again. If we think about it, that's why a day is designed that way, to give us respite and rest and less attention to the things that are cumulative, the things that are breaking the body down, 
the things that are weighing on the soul and the mind. And as far as knowing when you've had enough, I think we all have to believe that the spirit, the soul tells you in so many ways when enough is enough. And all that we can do at times that are difficult, times that feel as though they'll never end, is to draw closer to those things that bring us ease, that bring us comfort, that bring us love and inspiration. And that can be anything from texture to taste to softness to things that just change change you physiologically, things that you watch, things that you experience, things that you you may listen to. All those things are important. And this is how we take deep care of the soul, I think. This is what we do so that the soul doesn't feel like it's breaking down because honestly, I don't believe that a soul can. I think it's all the other stuff that, that piles on top, that gets in the way, that disguises the soul's purpose, that stops us hearing the soul. The soul itself, I believe to be limitless but so often we we have a distorted view of of what's inside because we can't get to it because there are so many things working away at us and in terms of things that that take away from our self-esteem I think it's everything outside and I'll always always encourage and always always talking about going back to centre. And those things that you know, that hold you, that keep you up, that excite you, even as much as the food you put in your body. I always know how I'm feeling by the choices I'm making about food. Why am I so inclined to to pick up something that tastes a certain way when I'm feeling a certain way? When I'm making decisions that I enjoy, the decisions that I feel good about with food, I'm usually at my best. And <laughs> when I'm making poor decisions with food, usually correlate with times when I, I want a fix. Times when I want to be, I want to be distracted. And I pay deep attention to that. And, and when I'm feeling my most discombobulated, I don't know what I want to eat. So all of these things are markers, but these, are these are the soul's way of speaking back to us and letting us know oh red zone or enough is enough or simply pay attention to me or something hurts or slow down or stop stop Next question. Is there a certain practice you perform daily to build better imagery or metaphors in your poetry? Oh, I could always do more. I could always do more. A certain practice I perform daily to build better imagery. I read. I just, I love books. I inhale books. I eat them. And I think, I think you add to the universe 
in your in your brain and your imagination when you read a lot of fiction. It certainly helps you dream. So I think I think that's the practice. And also, as I'm always talking about, the art of noticing, just noticing color, light, people, what they say and what they don't. I have a deep appreciation for that, and it's it's kind of what inspires me the most. It is. Do you write poems for your lover? Absolutely. What's the point of writing poems, being a poet, if you can't write them for your lover and for loved ones? Not that they always know it's about them, but that's a different story. (laughs) Even when you know that something or someone is no longer serving you, Why does it feel hard to move through letting it or them go? Oh, because you're used to it. Because everything is more than one thing. I don't believe that anything is just bad. Or anyone is just bad for you. Or any situation is solely negative. And I think think that's why. And also the grooves, the neural pathways, the old, soft, worn, bad habits. Bad that can also be fun, can also be exciting, can also be, I don't know, sexy, whatever. There are, there are so many elements to one thing. Of course, it's going to be difficult to end anything, even something that's mostly negative, anything you've done for a long time, anything for which you have a soft groove, uh, a neural pathway that's just, as I was talking about before, the default. It feels hard to move through it, but you'll surprise yourself by how it feels after the fact. It's incredible the things that we can rewrite in the body and soul and mind and the things that we can relearn and and also what can be erased. It's surprising, sometimes scary, but wonderful. Can you grow in a relationship where you've been cheated on? I would love your opinion. Interesting that that came after the last, the last question. I think you can grow in any relationship. Remember, you're making it. You and the person you're in a relationship with, you design it. The question is, do you want to? And, and if the want is strong, I think that you you design it, you make the rules. Maybe you're going into it differently. Maybe there are new rules. Maybe you have more boundaries. Maybe there are things you won't accept. I think you can grow in anything, should you want to. But it depends also what you call a relationship. Will it be the same terms? It's certainly never the same again. That's not always a bad thing. You are so successful, but do you ever have any hidden writing failures? Any advice on how to get past it? My novel got rejected by publishers and I'm crushed. First of all, congratulations on writing your novel, because that's huge. Secondly, absolutely. I, I I have three of the things that I've written published. 
but I've written so much more than that. My first book I wrote when I was 18, my first novel. And then I went on to write, do a poetry collection. I mean, it, it was a litany of so-called rejection. Uh, and the first thing that I wrote that really went out into the world was a poetry collection called Bone in 2014. And I self-published it for that reason. I didn't want any gatekeeper to to control or have any effect on my love for what I was doing anymore. I just wanted to put it out there. And so that's what I did. So please keep doing what you love. Keep on doing it. And don't let any sort of governing body... <laughs> Anybody else dictate how you feel about your art. And it's easier said than done because I know people have to read our art and there are, especially in traditional publishing, of course, there are those gatekeepers. They have to like it or they have to believe it's, it will sell. These things are not, are not mutually exclusive, by the way. And so, Keep doing it. You can do so much with the novel. You can repurpose it. You can edit it. You can pull it apart and start again. Allow yourself the moment to grieve what you thought this experience would be and go back to what you love and find a way to make it work because you can find a way to make it work. You wrote a novel. Congratulations. Do you ever talk about your writing and the process of with anyone other than your editor? Uh, yeah, I try to talk about it a lot when I go on lives or anyone who'll ask. I talk about it to anyone who'll listen. <laughs> I will talk about it to anyone who'll listen because it helps it not feel so lonely. And most of the time I'm sitting there writing it on my own of course so I love talking about writing processes and yeah maybe we'll do more of that on here I don't know I'll find a way to do it dear Yersa how does one get out of the rut of knowing what to do and yet finding it difficult to do them the words that I want to write are there I just always hesitate to put them on paper same I know what to do and I don't always do it. It's it's about the journey back. I'm always talking about forgetting and remembering. But that's a big theme in my life and I suspect the lives of all of us. Yeah, sometimes we know what to do and yet sometimes it's difficult to go about doing them. And there's a whole host of reasons why. I like to work with what I have and do things in increments and and sometimes sometimes self will and willpower just just aren't enough, and on those days, I hold myself tightly and wait for the days and I can do it again. It's okay, it's okay to miss days. I try to write in some manner in some form, 
each day, even if it's just a list. <laughs> I love lists, actually. Even if it's just a list. But other things, other things I don't manage to do, even though I want to do them. And sometimes they're things wrapped up in self-care. Sometimes depression gets the better of my routines. And it is what it is. But I keep going back. I keep returning. And I think that's the main thing. If you are still with me, if you have made it this far, I want to say thank you for being here. Your presence is felt. It means a lot. And at this time of year, which I know is trying for a lot of people, I certainly feel it, I am wishing you energy, peace, healing, joy, introspection, but not, not too much. Small pleasures, large pleasures, every single day pleasures. I'll be with you again soon. Bye.